Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am your host, one of the grumpy guys, Dan Scott. And, uh, well, it's been uh, three or four weeks since we've put out a, a new episode. There have been a lot of things going on uh, personally and professionally in the real world, but uh, after a bit of a break, we are back, and we have got a good one for you here today. Of course, I say that all the time, but I really believe that every time we do one of these podcasts, that we're bringing something worth listening to for you. And what we hope is that you feel the same way when it's all said and done, and that you will help us grow, that you'll share the podcast, you'll you'll like us, you'll rate us, you'll you'll help us get the word out. It's still a brand new venture. I mean, this is just the 10th episode of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, and we uh, are, are very much in need of your help to help push this thing forward. So we appreciate what you've done so far, and we're asking you to just you know make us a regular part of what you do and, and tell somebody about it. You remember the old uh, hair shampoo commercial? You know, she told a friend, and then she told a friend, and she told two friends, and next thing you know, it, it blew up. That tells you how old I am. That commercial is probably from the 70s or 80s. But uh, in any event, that's what we want you to do. You know, we use social media to push it, but the best advertisement is word of mouth. And uh, please help us get that uh, that word out about grumpy old broadcasters. This is episode 10. And if you have been in the state of South Carolina, which is where we are uh, located for any period of time at all, you are going to recognize the names that we're going to have for you in our guest rotation today, we're going to have a full-out panel discussion with some of the best newspaper writers that have ever worked in this state when it comes to covering sports and some other things as well. We'll tell you who they are in just a moment. Right now, though, I need to remind you that Grumpy Old Broadcasters is presented by and made possible by our friends at Todaro Pizza in Greenville. They're at 116 North Markley Street. John and, and his brother Chris, who runs the Todaro location in downtown Clemson, South Carolina, have been going above and beyond when it comes to making sure that their customers are taken care of, both from a fantastic food standpoint and from a safety standpoint as we continue in the midst of this COVID-19 mania that we're in. But make no mistake, uh, now that the dining room is open for about uh, half of the seating capacity, you can go get that great Todaro pizza right there in the facility, or you can still get it delivered, or you can call in and go pick it up. Bottom line is that it's worth the effort. And when we get back to some semblance of normal, if you've never been to Todaro Pizza, if you're not from this area, you're coming into the upstate, you need to put this on your food bucket list. I promise you, you're going to love Todaro Pizza and everything that goes with the experience. TodaroPizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, Pizza.com is the web address. And you can find out all the info there, see the full menu. And uh, John would love to see you in person at the 116 North Markley Street location, downtown Greenville on the West End, just two blocks down from uh, the Greenville Drive Stadium floor field. That's Todaro Pizza Greenville. They bring you the grumpy old broadcasters on an episode-by-episode -episode basis. 
Well, as mentioned, I, I say this for every uh, episode of the podcast that we do. We've got a good one for you today, and, and I mean it every time I say it. Uh, and it's been a while since we've we've been together, about three or four weeks. The last episode we visited with Wes Durham of the Atlanta Falcons uh, radio broadcast team and, uh, of course, with, with the ACC Network. Uh, today we have three legends of South Carolina sports writing and, and legends, if nothing else, because of longevity. We'll, we'll kind of get into the other stuff a little bit later on. But uh, Bob Gillespie is here. He uh, retired after 30 years working for the state newspaper, still does some freelance work for them. Um, Willie T. Smith is here after uh, retiring after 32 years with the Greenville News. And not to be outdone, uh, Methuselah, or otherwise known as Rudy Jones, after 40 years with the Greenville News, he is joining us here. Uh, Cobb Oxford, Dory Kidd-Smith is here. Tom Van Hoy, again, could not figure out the technology. And uh, we welcome all of you guys to the podcast. How you doing? Doing great. Excellent. Very good. Bob, you were on first, so I'm going to kind of go in that order. Uh, 30-plus years at the state, what are you doing now besides golfing? Oh, well, that, that ended that conversation. <laughs> um, no, I still do a little freelance for the state. Um, I did about eight years after I left the paper in 2010, writing stuff for the South Carolina Department of Parks, Recreation, and Tourism website about mostly golf. Uh, until they said we were running out of golf courses that I had visited. And they said, can you write about craft beer? And I said, twist my arm. So I did that for another two years. And um, now just, you know, whenever somebody needs something, they've got my phone number, they call up, and I did it. All right. Uh, Rudy Jones, you, you were next uh, as far as successfully logging on to our Zoom session. Uh, what are you up to? I know the the baseball blog has has captured a lot of your time when we're actually playing baseball, right? Yeah. Uh, after I left the Greenville News, I did some freelance work for both Anderson and Spartanburg and a few other places. Uh, in 2009, I started to blog Palmetto State Baseball, uh, and it was basically to cover the college baseball in the state of South Carolina. And I stayed pretty busy with that. And, well, I did this year until the middle of March when uh, things just kind of dropped out. But other than that, uh, just try to spoil my granddaughter. You know what? That 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 is as good a plan moving forward as you can have. Uh, I like it. Amen. Willie, what are you up to these days? But besides just look, people on Zoom can't see this. You know, we're all sitting in these little desk chairs, and Willie's in this giant plush rocking recliner, living the high life, uh, man. Yes. Why didn't they have these in press boxes? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Dan, he doesn't tell you, but he's having a pedicure done while he's doing it. Oh, <laughs> nice. Go. But uh, let's see. Uh, pretty much been since since uh, the Greenville News retired me, I've been um, doing some freelance work for, for a few magazines uh, because of what's going on now. That's dried up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, other than that, just in, enjoying life. Uh, now I'm doing yard work and... Uh, Walking every day, and then in the fall, of course, I, I doubt. I don't know if we'll be doing it this year, Bob. But Bob and I have been uh, roaming the state, going to different college football games every weekend, and uh, sometimes Jim McLaurin comes with us, and sometimes Andy Solomon comes with us, and just kind of enjoying life. Yeah, yeah, and you guys con your way into press boxes under the guys that you're still working, quote unquote, right? 
No, we we're telling the truth. They know, they know we're too old to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When the kids offer you their seats, then you know you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> hey, Dan. Yes, sir. Before we move, um, how you forget these things, I don't know, but you were asking what we've been doing. I forgot to mention that uh, Tommy Braswell, who, if you're looking for a legend from Charleston, would be a good guy to have on sometimes. They're a long-time golf and outdoors writer. Mm-hmm. But he and I spent um, about 10 months back in 2019 uh, compiling a, um, a book on golf in South Carolina that's supposed to be published uh, either late summer, early fall. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Do we get an autographed copy? Of course. If we buy one, right? If you buy one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's usually the way it works. Um I'm excited about this because, as I said, we've got three guys who have been doing the newspaper thing for a long, long time. Cobb and I are both former ink-stained wretches as well, and Dory has at least read a newspaper, so she's familiar uh, with the industry. I just want to start with with you guys. Um, I loved working in newspaper when you could actually work in newspaper and you could do the job that a newspaper could do, and we know that 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 has been slowly eroding, uh, or maybe more rapidly eroding now uh, over the last uh, decade plus. But do you miss? And and Bob, I'll start with you. Do, do you miss the industry at all, or do you miss it the way it was? Yeah, you hit it on the head. Uh, I miss what it was, um, what it was getting to be. Even though I've been out of it full time ten years, what it was getting to be even then was not what it had been um you know, willie and i you know willie was talking about how we've been to some games together and, uh i can remember being at a south carolina basketball game and sitting in the stands a really good fun game to watch and i look down at press row and here are cloninger and uh joe i don't think it was joe person probably um one of the guys from the state and Pete Acabelli from the ap and the game's going up and down the court and they're all like this they're all you know tweeting whatever in, in the game and i thought how in the heck are they going to know what happened in this game when the game is over and they're supposed to write about it? So, I mean, you know, the demands are much greater. I have great admiration for the people who can still do the job that they're being asked to do. Uh, it's much more demanding in some ways than what we did. I question sometimes whether the depth of what some of the writing that we did is there now because there's just not the time. You know, they're not willing to invest the time, the papers that is, uh, to have writers say, go and spend a week or two chasing a story to do it. Every now and then you'll see it still, uh, but it's getting rarer and rarer. And that's, that's, that's kind of sad because that's where you really found out what was going on, not just the score and who had points and stuff, but what was going on behind the scenes, who some of these athletes and some of these coaches were. Willie, same question to you. Do, do you miss yeah. it at all? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I got a taste of having to do that, um, you know, uh, before before I got out, and uh, of course, there's so many things that help you with it now. But it, but uh, Bob's right; it's it's kind of hard to keep up with the game. Tweet, and you've got to have something, basically, in before the game's over. You know, and just to have somebody put the score in for you. And um, uh, at the end, they're writing our own writing our own headlines, and that that scared me to death because uh, <laughs> you know there's going to be a mistake there. You know, <laughs> eventually. But uh, yeah, it, it really it really changed a lot. But you know. Um, uh, to a certain, I, I miss it to a certain extent, but you know, it's, 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 um, but I am excited about this new thing and maybe you'll get into this later. I'm kind of excited about, uh, this thing with the post and courier moving into the upstate. I, mm -hmm. I you know, uh, 
competition. You, you just don't see it in cities that size anymore. So that's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how that works out, not just in sports, but overall. Mm-hmm. And Rudy, before Cobb and Dory jump in here, same question for you. What, what do you miss about it, if anything, if you can remember anything? <laughs> uh, I miss the people, the colleagues, the people at the different colleges, because, you know, most of those folks just love to help you out any way they can. Yes. Uh, you know, the old story is that, uh, Dan, you've probably heard this story. Cobb knows about it. But at Clemson, uh, back in the 70s, probably before that, uh, if you signed a little sign-up sheet as you're going into the stadium, by the end of the third quarter, they give you a packet of game action pictures to take back to your newspaper. Uh, you know, probably works better for the weekly papers and things like that. But, uh, you know, like I said, I miss the people. Uh, things have changed a lot, but we're kind of going back toward that uh, old days in some way. Back uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, if you had a night game, you'd have to ride what we called a two-way lead. It was one if uh, Clemson wins or if Duke wins. And you had to write three or four or five paragraphs, send in some halftime uh, running, and then they would just have one line that say the final score was 14 to 10 or whatever it was. And you're getting back to that because I'm sure the guys are having to tweet and do all this other stuff during the game, uh, try to write as much as they can beforehand or maybe at the halftime to just have it ready where they can send a long, a, a long story. That's one thing, too. Now you're expected to have your story ready to go online in five or ten minutes after the game's over, if not sooner. Used to be you'd have an hour, hour and a half to write something. Nobody's ever going to rush you to get it to that. You know, if you worked an afternoon game, you'd have – four or five hours to write a lead. You know, you can write back and do some crafting. Uh, so that's uh, one thing that's kind of going back in circles to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Cobb, Dory? Well, Mark Bradley wrote a piece this morning about what this fall is going to look like for sports writers. You know, not looking for any sympathy or anything, but talking about how, you know, the spacing in the press box is no longer going to be the one-on-one time. Everything's going to be done by Zoom post-game. There's no, no more hanging around the batting cage asking, hey, well, what's really going on? You know, so it, the whole thing has changed. And, you know, if you're a people person and love sports, it's it's going to be a really difficult environment to work in. Yeah, and all you got to do is um, when you take a trip to a press box now, because I remember uh, I was helping out um, Spurs and Feathers, I think, when Alabama came to Columbia last year. And even for Alabama, there were there were empty seats in the press box. I mean, you would ne- you would have never seen that five even five years ago. But now, you know, you can almost get a row in there. It's uh, because uh, so many people, even if they even if they've still got sections, they're not sending people on the road, and you know that kind of thing. So it, it's it's really it's really changing a lot. It's it's kind of, in some ways it's kind of sad to see. Can I throw in one more thing about that? Yes. Uh, you know, now with Greenville and Spartanburg and Anderson newspapers all owned by the same company, are we going to start seeing where they only have like, one guy there instead of three? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they probably. probably have at least two anyway, but I mean, still, it, they're going to not spend their resources at the same place as, as small as the resources are, are now. And the Anderson paper goes to press at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. yeah. In Knox. About the same. So, you know, you, you're not going to. Anything that happens, I mean, there's stuff that happened two or three days later that's now in the newspaper. It's not a newspaper anymore. But but the, the, was, the, uh, the I guess yesterday, uh, Rudy, you were part of this. Um, I want to say was was it David Hood that sent that thing with the Greenville News um, uh, notebooks they used to give out? 
Yeah. And that made me think about, you know, high school, you know, um, the way high school sports was getting every, you know, calling police stations, getting all the scores, making sure you had every single score. And I remember this just like it was yesterday. There was a guy who would call the paper every single Saturday during during a uh, football season. He was in he would, and he'd always go, you guys got to leave more papers at the Bilo in Somerville. I'll never forget that as long as I live because they were statewide back then. But I mean, you know. That's a long, that's a long, long time ago. But those, those are fun down. I mean, you felt like you had won something when you got that final high school score from whoever you were searching it for. Mm-hmm. I used to always make fun of the news side because they lose their minds on election night. You know? and, mm-hmm. and they had no idea what a Friday night in the fall in the sports department was like. I mean, it, we just, it was, it was election night was cake to us. You know, they, Sometimes they'd even pull us in and help with elections, and it was no big deal. But they were they they'd have pizza and wings, and it's like, well, why don't y'all feed us on Friday nights? You know, yeah. we never. Yeah. All, yeah. all we had was Bill Mitchell with his uh, cooler full of beer in the parking lot after deadline. On Friday. <laughs> we always knew that Carthel Kraut from Palmetto was not gonna call. <laughs> How many times we call him during the week, Coach? We need you to call us. No, we want you to call. Well, you, you, you know what? At my, my very first newspaper job, I, I found a way to cure that because we had a basketball coach at a local high school who would never call. So one day I got tired of it, and when we did the roundup of all the games, you know, we'd try to write and we would cover the you know the one main game and then have two or three paragraphs in all the other games. And I just put, you know, I, I won't mention his name, but so-and-so coach did not call his score in and, and left it right there. He called the next week. Because yeah. <laughs> he, he, was, he was blaming us, you know, for, for, mm-hmm. not, for not making the effort. And when you put the onus back on him, that, that changed it. And you probably couldn't get away with that today, but, you know, what are you going to do? Dory, you're, you're sitting there all nice and quiet and, and – uh, just uh, with, with a big smile on your face now, you got something to say to this Motley crew? Well, I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm just, uh, you know, I am 46, so I'm right on the cusp of becoming, I guess, an old and grumpy. I don't want to say I want to be broadcaster, but I want to hold on to that, you know, the old school way. And I'm listening to you guys talk about how it just sounds like print. Print broadcasting might be starting to go by the wayside is that what I'm hearing which is really sad because I'm a tangible person I love to get newspapers and read and thanks Dan for that I've maybe <laughs> read one newspaper in my life um but you know we need to reel it back in we need to go backwards we've evolved past the point I I imagine all of you guys being sports fans watched yesterday the uh the golf tournament the uh heritage at Hilton Head possibly i mean there wasn't much else going on there hasn't been anything else to watch and we watched here and that might be one of the few sports that is going to be okay without fans but tell me how is i mean baseball is just in limbo right now am i right how are how are sports going to continue the way things are going well wow with the with you know with uh covid going on who knows? You know who who knows what's going to happen because um, I, I, you know, whether whether you whether you're for it or against it, I think uh, 
from a money angle, unless something crazy, something even more crazy happens, we're going to have football season because these colleges can't exist without without a season this year. And uh, you see some of the um, numbers coming from the teams, uh, you know, coming out from teams that have tested positive, and it scares you a little bit. You know, um, South Carolina doesn't release theirs, but you know, I hear theirs are pretty high as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's almost like the schools that don't have high numbers are the exception rather than the rule right now. So who knows what sport's going to look like this fall? I mean, I know we're all dying to have it, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I still think we're going to have football because, like I said, they've, you know, barring, barring a catastrophe or somebody, uh, heaven forbid, dying, I think we're going to see it. But it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Well, just just to, to, to kind of go down that road a little bit, I, I did some research today. Uh, Texas uh, had 15 football players test positive. Clemson, it's been in the news here, 23 test positive. LSU, uh, at least 30 football players have tested positive. But you go a little deeper inside those numbers. At Clemson, for instance, uh, 21 of the 23 uh, are asymptomatic. So, you know, is it as big a deal as – here we go. The media is blowing it up to be, or or is it a legitimate issue right now? Well, let, I guess we can only hope and pray, you know. But um, because uh, when these campuses, if if students are you know allowed to come back to campus, as I've told many people, um, when you're 18 to 22 years old, especially 18 to 22 year old guys, this thing about being on your own and uh, isolating on your own—that's not happening. You know, I mean, you can you can forget about that. I mean, when I was 18 to 22, I probably wouldn't do it either, you know. But at that age, you think you're invincible. So I hope I hope it's not as bad as it seems because uh, those guys, uh, I think I remember a few days ago, Muschamp, and he's given the whole thing about what they're doing and we're going through this protocol and that protocol. And then, you know, and then, we, then we've got them, you know, well, they'll be on their own to stay in their rooms at night. I'm like, oh, there goes that plan. You know, because that's not, you know, that's just not going to happen at any college, in, in my opinion, because we all know, man, we were all 18 to 22 years old 100 years ago. And you're pretty dumb at though. You, you know, you're pretty dumb back then. I see, mean, I'm dumb now, but I was really dumb back then. See, Rudy, I'm not the only one who makes those jokes about you. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm 67. I still think I'm immune to anything. But we, my wife and I both had it. We both had COVID. Really? Um, you know, uh, I've, I've got a good friend um, who is a professor at Georgetown. He had it, and he is not 100% over it. He's close to being over it, but he's not 100% over it. And he never – and he his daughter did all his shopping for him. He never went out, and he still caught it. You just never know. You know, we I've done, I've done some grocery shopping without uh, all the precautions I could have taken. You know, we tried to figure out where I might have caught it. We don't know. Was it a restaurant? Was it uh, – you know, shopping somewhere, but you know, it's made me think about it. Now, we didn't get, uh, I've been sicker. I just felt lousy for, uh, for a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, over it now, as far as I know, and the thing that worries me is, is I've seen conflicting reports as to whether you can catch it again or not. Mm. So we're still being careful, just like we can catch it, uh, for the first time. Yeah. It kind of depends who you read as to what, what the answer to that question. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, 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 and that brings up to me, that brings up, uh, a point that I don't hear discussed a whole lot because, you know, we hear and, and every news organization out there has got its quote-unquote expert. Uh, you know, we've got Dr. Fauci you know, nationally who is the quote-unquote expert on this. But this is an unknown quantity. I mean, can we really 
say that we know how it's going to react? Can we really say for sure that we know yet um, how, how bad the second wave is going to be? Can you catch it a second time? We have people who think they know, but can we say honestly that we do know? I don't think so. Nobody, no. nobody knows. I mean, they're planning. There's plans on top of plans on top of plans. I mean, Clemson's going to all digital tickets, which tells you if your tickets show up on your phone Monday, you're going to be able to go to the game. If they don't show up Monday, you won't be going to the game. Uh, you know, I'm still kind of amazed that tailgating hasn't been addressed. They're not going to allow you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people just to congregate outside the stadium and not go into the game. Uh, this is so much that is still up in the air and the clock is seriously ticking now. Um, yeah. uh, so I, I think we're going to have temperature checks. I think everybody will wear a mask. I think all you guys saw Barnhart's tweet a few weeks ago when he tweeted out a picture from a 1918 Georgia Tech football game during the flu pandemic and everybody sitting in the stands had on a coat and tie and a mask and you know that was and I think that may be the way we go for a while I uh, uh, yeah but again if we want football I think people in the south will do just about anything they have to do to, to make sure football happens we are I wonder too, Dan, you know, talking about uh, do they have it without fans? If they have it with, and they can do that because obviously, for instance, over in Europe, the soccer leagues are doing it without fans. And some of them, they're piping in some sound. So at least there's something that sounds like a crowd. It's not quite the same. But let's say they decide, okay, well, we're going to allow six feet of room and all this stuff. Well, A, how do you set that up in a stadium that's built to hold people right up next to each other? And if you say, okay, South Carolina and Clemson, you guys hold 80,000 fans, we're going to let 18,000 in or whatever percentage is, who decides which 18 get in? I mean, is it based on, on seniority of tickets, of season tickets? And, and then you got to figure out, well, do all those people want to go? Because I guarantee you the ones with all the seniority are also seniors, and they're the ones that are most stuffed. So, I don't know. There's, there's, yeah. Thank you, Dan. Right, right. right there for you. you can't see it on Zoom, but I just put, held up a great big dollar sign I to the camera. See. That, we can see. Uh, yeah, but oh, I mean, yeah, the people who are listening. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been told. I've been told NFL can probably live for a while without fans, but colleges actually need, they need that, that and that cash is very important to them. So, in right. fact, if you've listened lately in the last week or two, instead of going down, they're starting to say more numbers. I, I, you know, although he didn't say a number specifically, I, I know Ray Tanner started off like a couple of months ago, like 15. Now I hear him saying, uh, alluding to 35 to 40 for the first game. They're going up instead of down. So mm-hmm. that tells you that tells you where they are when they start looking at the books. This is episode 10 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. We got some grumpy old newspaper guys joining us. Here today, Bob Gillespie, uh, Willie T. Smith, and Rudy Jones, who looks like he's dropped off, but hopefully we'll be back here in just a moment through the magic of Zoom. Uh, all 30 to 40 years in the newspaper industry here in the state of South Carolina uh, covering sports. So that uh, they have seen it all, have covered it all, have written about it. And Guys, I say uh, about the radio business that uh, a lot of most of the best stuff, the things that never make it on the air, 
the, the things that are talked about during the breaks, and I was a sports writer long enough to know that a lot of the best conversations are things that never make it into print. Oh, yeah. No question about that. Sure. In fact, Willie can probably tell you some stories, some of our road trips back during when we could travel and go to golf ball games. Um, some of the best parts of those trips are not the games themselves, although those are great. But they're in the car for an hour and a half, two hours going back, trading stories. Oh, this reminds me of this, and this reminds me of that. And, uh, yeah, there's a million of them out there, and some of them are suitable for publication, and many are not. Hey, take your time in Atlanta. Who was the easiest athlete to deal with, and who was the most difficult? Easiest athlete to deal with? Uh, that's a good question. Um, just thinking real quickly, I'd say with the Braves, it was probably when I – when uh when I first got down there it was Dale, it was Dale Murphy obviously um I remember when they traded him at my my favorite this tells you the kind of guy Dale Murphy is when they traded him they were out of town and I got a message and this was this was no cell phones you know this was you know landline phones so I got a message I got a message to somebody that uh, if he would call me and they're out of town I knew I knew a call wasn't coming you know. And then I'm sitting there writing a story and like about seven o'clock, the phone rings and it's Dale Murphy at the, at the Houston airport. He actually calls and we talked for like 15, 20 minutes. He hadn't said nothing bad about the Braves trading him. And he was that kind of guy. Probably I would say uh, with the Braves, um, my favorites though were um, Jeff Blauser and Mark Lemke had a little corner of the locker room. And I won't tell you the things they had hung up in their lockers and stuff, but they were like, they just, every day, they were just joke after joke after joke and just um, getting after everybody. But my favorite was, um, I remember one time, um, which politician was it? Uh, Al Gore. Al Gore and his son came walking through. It was right after whichever election it was. And um, and I got an idea. And so um, a couple of them were complaining. They're going, this guy's walking through here. He's trying to he's trying to raise my taxes, and that gave me an idea. So, I, I walked over to Blouse and I said, "What do you think in here? How many people you think voted for Clinton? How many you think voted uh, voted for uh, who Clinton run against Bush? Who did he run against? Yeah, Bush. Yeah. Uh, how many Hold voted on, for Bush? Not, and how many voted for Perot? Yeah, it was the year when Perot ran too. And Blouser goes, he reeled me right in. He said, "I can give you the exact numbers." I said, "Okay." I got my got my thing, my cord, and everything out. He says. And he goes, nobody voted for Clinton. Said nobody voted for Bush. Nobody voted for Perot because nobody in this locker room's registered to vote. And everybody <laughs> just busted out laughing because he reeled me in. I thought I had a real story, you know. But but he, and that that's the kind of guys they were. And I guess I guess the all-time favorite though you have to say is um, Dion was probably probably my all-time favorite because um, I well, I had a thing with Dion. Like I come in the locker room and he and he tell me he said. When he wanted to talk, you know, I would just look at him and I would say, you're talking to Dan, he either would shake his head no or yeah. And when he shake his, you know, and he shook his head no, I went somewhere else. And when he shook his head, yes, he would. But this guy came up with some of the greatest lines of all time. In fact, uh, Cobb, I don't know if you were over there or not, but in the Hunt uh, Ruski game. I was there. We're in, the, we're in there waiting on Dion, and Dion's there and he won't, he won't talk until he gets dressed. And he's he's got on the, he's got on this weird looking underwear, and I swear I'm not making this up. He did about a 15 minute diatribe on what kind of underwear you wear and where you're supposed to wear the underwear, and you know, and we're on deadline, but still you're loving this con, you're loving this con because everybody's rolling around laughing, you know. Uh, and um, 
who was the center? Who was the center for Clemson um, that played with? He, he's no longer with us. to play for the Panthers. Oh, uh, Curtis Whitley. Curtis Whitley. He told me the story about that game. Curtis was a quote machine, man. Oh yeah, he told y'all he was great because I was I was in Charlotte when he was there. But he told me the story about that punt Ruski game. He said. Um, he said everybody on the Clemson sideline is giving Dion all kind of all kind of mess when he's getting ready to uh, return punts, and uh, he says, and, and Whitley says, I'm sitting over that town. Say, why don't y'all leave that man alone? He said, leave him alone. And yeah. so then he, they punt it to him, and Dion returns it, and Whitley says, I was over there in tears going, I told y'all to leave that man alone, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but yeah, he, he was uh, Whitley. Curtis Whitley was great. He was great. The definition was great. of helpless is Chris Gardaki on that play. Go back and watch. It. I think I think my favorite Deion Sanders quote goes all the way back to right before the draft, the year he was drafted, and I think Green Bay had the number one overall pick that year, and he obviously wanted no part of the uh, the weather in Green Bay, and he he said I think it was on Sports Center, he said if Green Bay asks or drafts me, I'm going to ask them for so much money they're going to have to put me on layaway. <laughs> yeah, the other favorite was he would he used to always say, he used to always say, Man, he goes, I wish my arms were longer so I could pat myself on the back. <laughs> but, but yeah, those but I, yeah, you you're right though. Those those were the times have changed now. You don't have that's when you had locker room at well, you're still doing the pros, but in college you had locker room access. Oh, and one other one was uh um Michael Dean Perry. Um oh, yeah. they played Carolina. I think that was the ESPN game. And Danny had Danny had locked it down for whatever reason. He said, no, you know, yeah. no players going to week or whatever. Talk about South Carolina, and the first yeah. thing they came out of the locker room was talking about South Carolina. Yeah, well, Michael Dean too. He was a senior, so he didn't care. And Michael Dean is giving his number to all of us. He said, "Call me, I'm talking." And that's the game. Uh, <laughs> I think Brad Edwards had the three interceptions, and South Carolina won. So I'm in the Michael locker room, and I'm waiting on. Well, not just me, a bunch of people. We're waiting in the locker room. Michael Dean. And Michael Dean finally turns around because he had been talking mess the whole week. And he, he turns around, he goes, it bees that way sometimes, y'all. It bees that way sometimes. <laughs> made you forget every question you had in your mind. You were laughing so hard. He came out and he said, Michael Dean, what do you think about next week's game out in South Carolina? He said, domination, domination. <laughs> Bob, your, your favorite athlete to cover, maybe your least favorite if you want to share that. Oh, wow. Um, I have to think about that a second. Um, generally speaking, the better stories came the farther back you go, because as Cobb alluded to earlier, uh, once upon a time you had pretty good access to these guys. I mean, you know, you go in the locker room, you catch, you know, maybe you didn't want to talk to the star back, but you go and you want to talk to the blocking back or the whatever. And that guy just carry on forever because nobody ever talked to them. And, but, you know, nowadays, you know, they, they stick them up on a podium and everybody gets the same canned stuff. It's, uh, I don't know. Favorite athlete, you talk about in South Carolina or just wherever, whoever you cover. Well, the bet, you know, I'm, I'm biased because I covered a lot of golf, but the best ever is still Jack Nicholas. I mean, that guy not only was a great, great player, but he had good opinions on all sorts of things. Yeah. And he would talk and talk and talk. The Masters was famous. They'd have Jack Nicholas's session at the Masters. Come in and there's 500 writers in there and everybody wants to ask Jack a question. And this goes forever. And then when it's over with and half the people file out of the back and 
like a dozen or more, especially the old timers right down there in front of them by the, by the stage, they want to ask their questions. And Jack's answering all those questions. He comes down, he's walking up the aisle. And people are asking questions. He gets all the way out into the ante room where the security guard is waiting to take him to a golf cart. And he asks one more question, answers one last question. He turns around and looks at everybody and says, okay, anybody else? You got what you need? Okay. And then he's gone. So of, of cooperative and knowledgeable and quotable, they don't come, they don't come any better than Jack. Rudy, same question for you. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of guys that came through Greenville and when the Braves had a minor league team here that, uh, you know, I enjoyed talking to. And that's one thing that I think you miss with the uh, staged uh, uh, presentations at a uh, dais and uh, a podium now is you don't get a whole lot of interaction uh, between the athletes and the riders. I'm not saying that, you know, we have the right to do that. But it was a lot easier back in those days. You kind of built a little bit of a relationship, and you weren't just a uh, a name behind a microphone. Uh, you could go up, you could talk to them about something else, or if you happen to see something in their locker that uh, interests you, you say, "Hey, you know how that's come about?" Things like that. But a lot of the Braves guys, and you know, a lot of the old time baseball guys who were managers or coaches and things like that. Me growing up to be such a big as a baseball fan, the be able to talk to guys that I watched on TV or listened to on radio. And these were kind of larger than life type folks for me. That was really fun just to be able to, to talk to those guys, people like Jim Beecham, uh, Bobby Dews, of course, didn't play in the majors, but he was a longtime coach for the Braves. And, you know, a lot of them, and, and baseball is a lot more casual than some of the sports anyway, but you can, you can, they'll, they'll tell a, a joke in there or tell an old story about something that happened to them one time and, and man, that's one thing about baseball is there are always guys that have got stories about something they went through uh, at a minor league park, major league park, wherever. Yeah, those are some of the best days, uh, as Rudy, you know well, uh, covering the, when the G Braves were here. Willie Stargell and all those guys, and they would just sit up there and tell stories for nine innings, you know, when because they, they were scouts at that point. And uh, some of the stories, I don't remember them all, but some of the story they, you know, Starge used to tell stories about when he's in the minor leagues. He used to come through Greenville and he used to tell me, stay. He said, yeah, we used to stay at the Ghana Hotel right over there on I-85. And, you know, I just, you know, those guys, just a million stories, just a million stories they would tell. Yeah. There's so many of them, too. Yeah. Did you guys see any of the, uh, the Ken Griffey Jr. documentary? We're recording this on Tuesday. It aired on, uh, no, we're recording this. This is Monday, right? Yeah, this is Monday. All day long. Yeah, well, at this juncture, they're all running together. But uh, ESPN ran the King Griffey Jr. Uh, documentary on, on Sunday night. And uh, one of the clips I saw today was uh, about his burning hatred for the New York Yankees, which I had never heard the story. And, of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Reds fan, obviously, and, and, and had a chance to cover Griffey a little bit. Uh, when I was doing some freelance writing in the Cincinnati area. But uh, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but uh, the reason that he hated the Yankees, and he said if the Yankees were the only team to offer him a contract when he was a player, he would retire. When he was a kid visiting the Yankees dugout with his dad, Ken Griffey Sr., who was playing at the time for the Yankees, he was 38 years old, and one of the security guys came over and told Griffey Sr. that – Steinbrenner did not want anybody in the dugout that wasn't, you know, wasn't a player for the Yankees. 
And, and he said, but, you know, this is my son. And he said, I'm just telling you what Mr. Steinbrenner said. So he started to leave, and, and it, Junior said that Senior said, look out at third base. And they looked out at third base, and Greg Nettles' son was out there taking ground balls with Greg Nettles. And nobody said anything to him. So that's why he had that burning hatred for the New York Yankees and said he would never never play with them if they were the last team on earth to, to sign a contract. I'd never heard that story before. And I, I just I just listening to you guys talk, those are the kind of things that – when when, re, when writers were able to build relationships with players, you could flesh out those kind of stories, Bob. Oh, yeah. In fact, one story I always would tell when talking to the younger guys about, you know, they're complaining about, well, you know, I had five minutes with so-and-so, and it was me and four other people, and what am I supposed to do? And I would just kind of chuckle and tell them a story once in 1979, I believe it was. Yes, I'm that old. Um I was looking for a story, you know, covering the Gamecocks football. And there was a defensive back from upstate New York named Andy Hastings who played on that team. And, um, you know, of course, by then everybody's saying, so what do you, what, what is George Rogers really like? You know, you're not really asking about that. But I went in and interviewed, I uh, wanted to talk to Hastings and sports information guy, probably Julian Gibbons or something like that, set it up and said, yeah, show up at the locker room at such and such a time and you'll be in there. You walk in and it's you and it's him and the empty locker room and that's it. So you have lots of time to sit there and chat. And he was, I remember he was a tough story. I don't know why he was just didn't have much to say. And I was getting a little frustrated. And finally, I just took my notepad and my pen and I handed it to him. And I said, okay, you asked me some questions for a while. This isn't going very well. And he actually started asking some pretty bright questions. I said, you're not bad at this. He said, well, uh, I'm majoring in so-and-so, but I really thought about being a sports writer. I said, okay, give me the pad back. I got my story angle. <laughs> anyway, so that's 1979. We are now 40-plus years later, and he and I are still in contact. He lives in Texas now. He became fairly wealthy in business and things like that, and we still shoot messages back and forth on social media. Our politics are not really the same, but you know, we kind of avoid all that and stuff. We just... Uh, you, you could build good relationships with people. It, uh, yeah, Rudy's right about that. I mean, you know, you had time to get to know them and better. They had time to get to know a little about you. So you weren't just the guy with the notepad or the microphone. Dory? You know, and a lot of times, like, uh, yeah, Bobby Cox, I, I, didn't, I just thought about this, but a lot of times, you know, he would come in the dugout. This is doing batting practice. He's just sitting in the dugout. And uh, when he came in there, you're welcome to go in there and sit down, you know, and talk to him. And I would say 90% of the time, at least when I was talking to him, it wasn't even about sports. You know, we'd be arguing politics or whatever it was. But even when you got in an argument with the thing I loved about Bobby, even when you got an argument about Bobby, the next day it was like you, you hadn't even seen him the day before. You know, he you know, he was and he or he would talk about he liked to talk about his daughter who had moved to San Francisco and bought a house, you know, just personal things. And I, 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 he was one of my he was one of my favorites because uh, he really knew how. He would do the baseball thing with you, but you know he, you know he, he enjoyed talking about his personal life and those kind of things, and he was just a lot of fun to be around. Dory, because now, man, you feel like you talk to a coach now, you and you ask him something, you know, even about football, you might get your head bitten off. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dan, I'm just listening once again, just hearing you guys talk about the way it was, and it's kind of making me a little 
depressed <laughs> because what are we doing here? You know, I want to, I want to think we can go back to that. And I'm not sure that that's ever going to happen. I know just having come up for the last 20 years, um, sort of being on the periphery of broadcasting. I mean, I wasn't, I was in broadcast sales, but I also sort of dabbled in broadcasting. I know that it's changed so much. I have so much respect for you guys because what you guys did back then about seven people do now. I know, for example, beloved Clemson University, the athletic department, what you guys were saying, the access has been so limited because it's a thing called branding and there's an image and they don't let sports writers kind of infiltrate that or they don't let that access uh, exist anymore like it once did. And I think it's really sad. And I don't know if maybe, you know, in light of everything that's going on, maybe we are going to realize that we have to come back to the old school way of doing it. It's not all about the money and it's not all about image. It's about the love of sports. And that's what we have to focus on. And that's kind of what I'm trying to find a silver lining in all of this. Can you tell? It's, it's a hard time right now with, with no sports going on. Yeah, it's, it's my, my favorite coach fights head off story comes from Charlie Bennett. And it was like the 84 Clemson, Maryland game up in Baltimore where William Perry was on skates all afternoon and Maryland rushed for like 500 and something yards. <laughs> and that Glover guy from Maryland just pretty much pushed Perry wherever he wanted to. Charlie said he was in the post game and said some guy from Baltimore or Washington looked at Danny and says, uh, Coach Ford, how was it that Maryland's rushing game was so effective against you today? He said Ford whipped around and stared at the guy they're blocking our ass, buddy. <laughs> Got a Coach Bott's head off story. Uh, Bob probably remembers this. Willie might too. Back when Jim Carlin was coach at uh, South Carolina, um, Bob Fulton <laughs> would do his uh, – was the host for the TV highlight show. And one night, uh, Carlin asked Fulton to ask him this question. I don't remember what the question was. And Fulton does it. And Carlin turns to him and said, Bob, I don't know why you would ask me a question like that. And, you know, he just really humiliated Bob on the air, and he was mm-hmm. doing exactly what Carlin asked him to do. Yeah. Let me make a mild correction on that because I, I heard that same story. It was actually Paul Dietzel. Okay. Dietzel, somebody, there was a rumor going around that Dietzel was being wooed by, and I don't even remember what school it was. So they're getting ready to go on the air, and Dietzel pulls Bob aside and says, you know, hey, Bob, you know, this rumor is out there about me going to so-and-so, and I want to address it, so how about bring it up? And Bob says, sure, Coach, no problem. So then I go, well, Coach, you know, Bob Fulton, Coach, you know, there are reports out there that XYZ University is after you. And Dietzel stares at him, and it's like, I can't believe you would ask me a question like that. I am devoted to the Gamecocks, and we're trying to get ready for a game, and you bring up that garbage. I can't believe you did that, Bob. And Bob's like, I don't know. that that. I guess the reason I thought it's Carlin is it sounds in character for him, but it. That, that does, uh... Oh, I agree. I understand. I would have thought it was otherwise myself. And there were classic moments from the Carlin TV show where he says, "This jacket is garnet. It is not orange. You people need to adjust the color on your TV sets." <laughs> This is episode 10 of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I'm Dan Scott, Cobb Oxford, Dory Kidd from our regular crew is, is here or are here. And we're uh, joined 
by uh, three legends of South Carolina sports writing, Bob Gillespie, Willie Smith, and uh, Rudy Jones. You know, kind of talking about uh, staying on the nostalgia track uh, a minute before we come uh, back into the present as we hit the home stretch here. One of the things that, that made the relationship between sports writers and the coaches and athletes they covered easy or easier um, a generation ago, or maybe maybe even a half generation ago, what was the relationship that you guys had with the sports information directors at at, at schools and um, you know Marty Brenneman, who uh, is, is the Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Reds, he was a guest on this podcast a few weeks ago. He still, every time I talk to him and we get to talking about Clemson, he talks about coming in for the Jefferson Pilot uh, basketball game of the week in the mid-'80s, getting in on a, on a Friday night and, and um, being, uh, being taken to the fish camp for dinner uh, and, and just you know being treated like royalty. The, the entire time that he was there and developing those kind of relationships. You, you guys obviously been around long enough to have kind of benefited from that. And, and I'm sure there were some bumps in the road. But, but again, it, it's, it's not these days anyway. It's not the way it used to be. No, absolutely not. In fact, I think about it sometimes. And um, for a relatively small state in the grand scheme of things in the United States, you had – Bob Bradley and now Tim Beret. You had Tom Fulton, or not Tom Fulton, um, Tom Price, who would bite your head off if you asked a stupid question, but also once he came to respect you, would take good care of you. And if you go next door, you got Claude Felton in Georgia, who uh, Tim and George are on like, you know, like the upper plane of sports information guys. And you're right. Uh, we had it really good for a long, long time. Uh, Cobble probably want to chime in on this. You remember, and I can't tell you exactly, it's been in the last five, six, seven years, and I'm not sure whether I blame Dan Radakovich or this or one of his underlings, but where they came in that they announced that uh, Clemson was no longer going to cater to sports writers, that they were going to produce their own image, and that was about the time they were trying to put Tim Beret out to pasture and all this stuff. And I remember picking up a, a – um, I think it was a, a Augusta Chronicle and Scott in the show, a good friend of mine down there, just ripped into Clemson about it, which, of course, inspired me to write my own column, ripping into it, saying, you know, Tim Bray's forgotten more than any of you guys know about sports at Clemson. And to the credit of somebody, and I suspect the, the hand of Dabo Sweeney on this, is that Tim has come through all of this pretty well and uh, is in a good place and stuff like that. But it was, and Dory alluded to it. It was about, they wanted to brand everything. They didn't want you to do the stories. They wanted to do the stories themselves so they could spin it the way they wanted to. And that's not, I mean, politics is that way now. Sports on every level is that way now. Well, that, that's, not a, that's, not a, that's not a story. That's propaganda. What's that? I said that doing well, it. The, that or what no, no, no. Doing, doing it the way they wanted to do that. That's not right. That's not a story. That's propaganda. It goes from public information to public relations. It's subtle, but they're, they're the big difference. Yeah. Well, there were days where Mr. Bradley would hit the road during the week with handfuls of tickets. Mm -hmm. Go to radio stations to, to yeah. hype the game. Mm -hmm. That was part of his job. But um, no, I, 
felt Claude and Mr. B and Tom Price, um, um, uh, Bill Hamilton at SC State. I had a little dealings with him. He's a legend. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Ed Seaman at NC State. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just don't have guys. Yeah, uh, it uh, it's totally this so corporate now. You know, those yeah. guys were. I remember just we did a little road. Me and a little friend just did a little road trip um, visiting North Carolina schools and. Um, um, oh, guy, Mixon. Um, well, Mick Mixon. Uh, uh, yeah. No, um, Tom Mixon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, Tom Mixon. Dude. Yeah, he gave us all the time we wanted. Mm -hmm. um, just don't have that. You know, it was, um, mm -hmm. that was, um, that was back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, he's the only one in the office mid-summer and uh, gave us all the time we wanted. That's the guy that ended up changing the face of college football a few years later. Um, One thing. With a, with a, drawing a napkin. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, mid-1970s, uh, when Clemson had a home game, very often the sports information director from the visiting school would come into town like Monday or Tuesday. Right. Mr. B would take them out to the various newspapers, TV stations. Uh, one night I got my first trip to the Peddler, which is a great steakhouse in Greenville if you've never been there. Mm -hmm. was I was taken there with uh, Mr. B and uh, Jack Zane from Maryland. And, uh, you know, it's just there you kind of sit and get to know people. Uh, they may throw out a tidbit you can use in your story later on in the week, but it's kind of drumming up interest in the game. Of course, mm -hmm. now with the sellouts, you don't have to do that. But yeah. still it was building relationships and that's uh, – and building trust between you. You know, a lot of times uh, reporters now get the reputation or labeled as being – uh, you know, people who are out to get so-and-so. Yeah. But, you know, if you find that you have common ground with people you're covering, sometimes they can have, as uh, Bob mentioned earlier, then you can have disagreements with them, but then they realize that you're not uh, out to get them, right. so to speak. Yeah, everything, well, not everything, but a lot of things in, in, in media athlete relations today are, 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 are set up on an adversarial basis. And that's not the way that it used to be. I, I've got one Bob Bradley story. You know, my wife and I moved into the upstate in 1999, and I started working for the newspaper in Seneca in May of that year and helped them transition from a, a three-day-a-week paper to a, a weekly paper. And, uh, of course, Bob was, or Mr. Bradley, excuse me, i got to get the, the right kind of reverence here. Mr. Bradley was um, was long retired by then, and, and Tim Beret had, had been uh the, the SID for a number of years, but Mr. Bradley was still, you know, doing some things, freelancing, working, helping out in the department. So the first Clemson baseball game I covered in uh, the May of 1999, um, I, and I had never met Bob Bradley. Uh, as I always do, I get to the press box three, four hours before the game, uh, and especially if I've never been someplace before because I want to get familiar with what I'm doing. I walked into the old press box at Doug Kingsmore Stadium. You guys remember the old wooden press box that was there. And Bob, Bob Bradley was the only one that was there. And I walked into the door of the press box, and he looked up at me, and he said, Hi, Dan. <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had never met, and yet he already knew who I was and, yeah. and, and went out of his way to welcome me and make me feel comfortable in a place that I'd never been before. And to me, that tells me all you need to know about a guy yeah. like that. 
Well, so, I've, I've, I've been there. I've been there when the phone rang and Wilhelm called from the dugout and complaining about a scoring that Mr. B made. And Mr. B would tell him, you coach the game, I'll score the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he had the gravitas. He could do that. Yeah, Wilhelm, nobody was going to mess with Mr. B. Oh, and that's uh, the thing, Bob. Bob was always that way with people, you yeah. know. Uh, and you know, there'd be times that the Greenville News would do things that would tick him off, and you know, and he might uh, send a letter to Dan Foster, who was a sports editor at the time, or he might call and vent at whatever was going on. But when you got there to the game that next time, he's you. You were just like anybody else. He's treating you as right. good as he could. Yeah. yeah. Willie, who was your favorite SID? Oh. Uh, I was going to say, probably, if you wanted to be entertained, uh, doing a uh, Clemson-South Carolina baseball game back in the day with, with Mr. B and Tom Price telling stories, you kind of forgot that you were there working. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, those are probably – those got to be in the top three or four of, of, of best, time, you know, best times I've ever, I've ever had working because uh, those guys would tell stories and – you'd look up, you know, and three innings had gone by, you know, and you're like, oops, I better get back to work. Because those two guys going back and forth. And the, and the other thing that was pretty cool back then, even though, you know, obviously um, they went to rival schools and all that thing, those guys, all those guys back then got along so well. You know, it was, you know, there was never any tension when you were around and that kind of thing. So, it, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun being around. But i never forget my, my favorite Mr. B story uh, – same seems like I'm going back to the same game all the time, but it was that same Florida State game, and uh, Burt Reynolds had bought them new uniform, had bought Florida State new uniforms for that game. So this guy, I can't remember who the guy was. This guy came in, he's got Burt Reynolds, comes in the press box, he's got Burt Reynolds with him, and he's really proud of himself, you can tell. And he goes, he takes him over to Mr. B, and he goes, uh, Mr. Bradley, I want you to meet Burt Reynolds, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mr. B's really nice to him, shakes his hand, he goes, Mr. Reynolds, it's uh, it's a pleasure meeting you, but if uh, you don't have a press pass, you can't be in here. <laughs> I will never forget. I mean, very kindly too, very nice, you know. But he's like, you got, you can't be in here without a press pass. And we were dying laughing. It was, I mean, not while Reynolds was in there, but as soon as he left, I was like, that's Mr. B. Well, the day they named it the Bob Bradley Press Box and did all this ceremony, and now this is the Bob Bradley Press Box, and everybody. You know, clapped and cheered, and Mr. B stepped up and said, "No cheering in the press box." <laughs> <laughs> nice, guys. We're coming. We're coming down the 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 stretch as I mentioned here. Let, let me let me bring us back to present day. I mean, we we've had a good time uh, wandering down memory lane and could stay there for hours. I know, but um, you, you know, our country's in a mess right now. And, and it's not limited to just politics. It's limited. It, it's it's spread its tentacles everywhere. And, and most recently, we we saw just in the last couple of days. Again, we're recording this on on Monday. Just in the last uh, day or so, what happened in NASCAR with with Bubba Wallace and, and finding a, a noose in in his garage area, and and, and the way that that NASCAR and and the, his fellow drivers have have rallied to him um and then you you go back even i think it was last week uh where nascar said finally after years it was going to ban anything doing with the confederate flag at, at at any of its events which which got you know a bunch of people up in a in, in an uproar 
But given the tone of our country now, obviously it makes sense, and to me it's the right thing to do. But here's my question. Are we living in a bizarro world, in an alternate universe, where NASCAR has an opportunity to take the lead in this country from a sports standpoint, and maybe beyond that, when it comes to race relations? Because NASCAR is not known as the most racially friendly sport out there, and yet here they have a chance to take a, a major step forward in leading the sports world in the midst of all the chaos that's out there right now. What do you guys think? I don't know. I still, you know, um, still think there's a ways to go. In fact, I'll be honest with you. Oh, when, I'm not saying there's not a ways the, to go. The, uh, no, no, I'm just talking about NASCAR right yeah. now. But when the uh, when they made the when they made the announcement. Uh, um, when Wallace came out and said, you know, the flag should be gone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, good luck with that. And that, that day it was gone. I mean, that day they made the announcement. I, I was, I was stunned that, that they moved that quickly. Now they're going to be a segment of the fans that aren't going to move quite that quickly. I mean, so they, you know, so um, they've still got to wait, you know, they've still got a ways to go, but um, I, I, I was really amazed. That, again, I, I was really amazed at how quickly they, because how quickly they moved because, um, that, that that's a tough that's a tough job because I mean it's one thing to do it and it's one thing to get an entire fan base to follow to follow suit. Now I think a lot of fan a lot of the fan base will, but there are going to be some that are used to doing things a certain way, and uh, you know it's going to be hard to get them to just do an about face you know right right off the bat. So we'll still have to see how that how that thing goes. It's still a long ways to go, but I was amazed at how quickly NASCAR is trying you know is trying to move. Uh, one thing I, I kind of uh, take an issue with NASCAR having selective standards, if you will. Uh, you know, the, the flag that uh, the Confederate battle flag was very offensive to a lot of people. Uh, but how about people who don't want to see uh, obscene words on a T-shirt? How about people who don't want to see stick figures of people committing sex acts? And you see those things like at uh, Myrtle Beach or Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge all the time, things like that. Uh, you know, I think NASCAR ought to ban everything that's offensive to somebody. You know, it sounds, you know, and we're not trying to minimize the, the step that NASCAR has taken. But uh, just because uh, Willie is offended at, uh, at the flag, for instance, and why is it not my right to be offended at, at these obscene T-shirts and things like that? You know, but, uh, you know, if I were to start a campaign against that, people would say, oh, just some old fogey get in the 20th century or 21st century. Uh, you know, I, I just like to see a, 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 a you know, if you're going to ban offensive things, ban everything that's offensive. You, you know what this comes right. down to, though? And, and, and Bob, I'll, I'll let you come in on, on this and anything else you want to get into here. But to me, this, this comes down to this country, and, and, and it's not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it, this country used to have a moral compass. And, yep. and this country doesn't have a moral compass anymore. And, and, and I know I'm going way outside of the 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 uh, framework of the world of sports but but there there used to be at least some semblance of a moral compass in this country and it seems like now that that's that is something else that's fallen by the wayside well i mean before we go too far on that i guess i would say define what you mean by a moral compass does a moral compass mean um not treating, you know, not treating people like second-class citizens, which is what a lot of the Black Lives Matter and stuff like that is about. 
uh, is it, but also does it mean, well, you know, gosh, then I guess we can't let gay people go to sports events or nobody who's gay can come out and say I'm gay because I play in the NFL or the NBA or, or whatever it might be. I mean, who defines what's moral and what's not? Now, if you're talking about, do we try to do what I always consider the moral is do the right thing. And I don't mean necessarily Spike Lee's version, but do the right thing to other people, treat other people like you would like to be treated. That's called the golden rule. And if that's what you're talking about, then I, then I'm, I'm in total agreement with that. That's, that's what you need to do. And, you know, for instance, like Rudy brings up, he's offended by, you know, F whatever on somebody's t-shirt. Well, then maybe you need to, you know, say to them, you know, or go to NASCAR, somebody said, you know, that offends me. Why don't you do away with that? Now, granted, half the country is not marching in the streets about t-shirts, but a lot of them are marching in the streets about Black Lives Matter, the Confederate flag, stuff like that. So there are moments for everything, I guess. But um, I, I, th I think you got a point there in the sense of we got so many people who are so interested in advancing and espousing one side or the other. And I'm not even saying one side's right, one side's wrong, but there are sides. And this is one of the most divided times in our country's history that I can remember, certainly in my lifetime, maybe going back to the 60s when the original civil rights marches were. And again, I think it just comes back to treat people fair, treat them with respect, um, try to put yourself in other people's shoes and see, you know, how would you, what would you think if this was going on? And, uh, and then let that let that lead thing. Maybe that's a little too high in the sky. I don't know. Well, here, here's an example of, of what I mean. I and mean, we're, we're five years removed and just past the anniversary, I think, from, from the, the unspeakable tragedy at Mother Emanuel down in Charleston, mm -hmm. uh, which was, which was a, 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 a racist young man who shot and killed nine people simply because of the color of their, of their skin. And there, there's no disputing that. And nope. but but from moral from a moral compass standpoint, what did we see there? We we saw an incredible gesture by the families of those nine people who resisted any kind of outside interference, and they chose to take the remarkable step of offering the biblical sense of forgiveness in True. in that situation. They want him punished, which he mm. should be, but they but they refused to allow his hatred to spur their own hatred, which, which right. I thought at the time this, this country should have looked at that as just an incredible example. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it ever got the press that it deserved. That's kind of what I'm That's talking about when it comes to moral compass. Well, I, I don't know, again, how you define the press it deserved. I thought it got a fair, fairly good amount of attention but, you know, at the risk of, you know, casting stones at my past profession, a lot of, um, I don't even want to say journalism, I want to say modern media are about the latest outrage, the latest thing to throw stones and that sort of thing. And what the, what the members of Mother Emanuel Church did was very uplifting. And it's almost like, it, you know, in some ways it was almost treated like, little kid whose dog can cut flips and let's put him on the end of the uh, morning news show. Now let's get back to the quote, real news. So, um, and yeah, what they did was remarkable and uplifting and a great example to all of us. I don't know how many of us, and I don't mean this group, but people in the world were, you know, I think some people were inspired by that. Some people just tuned it straight out and went right back to hating. 
Well, I, I can tell you this. When that happened uh, in, the, in the days that followed, I was actually in Los Angeles, and I was listening to talk radio in Los Angeles, and nobody out there was talking about the forgiveness. Everybody there was talking about the, the potential for riots or wondering why the riots hadn't started yet. Right. That, that's where the conversation was in Los Angeles five years ago uh, about that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Willie, am I, am I looking at this too simplistically? Uh, I don't know. You know, that's um, Charleston Massacre is uh, that's a tough one for me, I guess, simply because uh, Clementa Pinckney was a friend of mine and uh, who, who was who was killed in that thing. And Bob, I don't know if you knew Clementa or not. He was in the uh, Did he, not. Was, he was in the state house when he you know, when when he was killed down there. But um, sure. but, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, out of that, you know, but frankly, in my opinion, well, maybe not today it wouldn't, but frankly, in my opinion, a Confederate flag would still be flying uh, at the state house if it hadn't been for that massacre. Absolutely. Nobody, there was there was really no talk. You know, there had been talk about it. There was no serious talk about bringing the Confederate flag off the building until that happened. And there was just a swell of everything happening. And that's when it was removed. And in my opinion, it would probably still be there. Well, maybe it'll come down after what's happened the last couple of weeks. I don't know. But it would probably, up until then, it would probably still be there, you know, because I was telling a friend the other day, you know, the SEC came out with this thing, the NCAA followed, you know, about uh, no, uh, like they did South Carolina, no no events sanctioned by them will go to Mississippi as long as their flag is the way it is. Yeah. And I told a friend, I said, I would not be shocked if Mississippi is the one state to say, well, we don't really care. We don't care if y'all bring events here or not. This is our flag and we're keeping it, you know. So who knows? It depends where you sometimes it depends where you are. Um, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, um, and, and the reason I brought all this up was just because for me and and I, I look at things, try to look at things from from every conceivable angle, but I, I just can't get over the irony that of all the sports that have an opportunity to take, you know, you know, we we see athletes and sports leagues putting out, you know, statements and and doing the things that they're doing. But mm-hmm. of all the sports out there, it's NASCAR, which, which is the most redneck of every sport that <laughs> that is played or or, or mm-hmm. held in this country. It's NASCAR that has the chance to really make, in my in my opinion, the the most impactful move here that has been made by any sports league since we got into this latest mess going back, you know, three or four weeks. Uh, to me, maybe, to me, there's just a lot maybe, of irony there. Maybe be real interesting what the attendance will be like then. We'll probably know more, you know, as far as NASCAR is concerned, will their attendance be the same? Will it drop off? Uh, you know, at this point, you know, because of what's going on, we have no idea knowing, you know, Really, and when you think about it, we have no real idea of how, how fans feel about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Other than a few other than things on social media, you know, well, we don't really know how they feel about it. You know, one, thing, one thing, too, the, the other sports leagues, uh, Confederate flag has never been much of a uh, uh, issue or situation there. In other words, you don't, I, I can't ever remember seeing a Confederate flag, say, at, at Atlanta Stadium or, uh, you know, with the Braves game or other other sports leagues like that, whereas the Confederate flag uh, was a big part of NASCAR. You know, uh, yeah, there's some people that uh, uh, use it for the wrong reasons, but some other people that say 
hey, this is just kind of my pride in being a Southerner and a redneck and racing is a Southern redneck sport, so I'm waving my Confederate flag. Uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, but there are some people that feel that way. And so it's always kind of been a part of NASCAR where it wasn't in some of the other sports leagues. Right. Yeah, I agree. My That's question cool. is, over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's, it's everything now. I mean, yeah, we've all been offended, and we all recognize this is offensive to certain people, this is to other people, but when they're telling us they're changing the name of Eskimo Pies, when they're pulling down statues of George Washington, and the, the big one is Teddy Roosevelt. Well, what did Teddy Roosevelt ever do other than start the national parks? I mean, it's like, where are we, we going to stop with this? I mean, is well, it, yeah. are we going to have building A, B, C, you know? And I understand the Tillman thing. The Tillman, the, Ben Tillman is the reason Clemson exists, but Ben Tillman did some nasty, evil things, and his name should not be on the building. So, that's, that needs to happen. But then, okay, we've got the Tillman name gone. Okay, well, Mr. Clemson, Mr. Clemson had a plantation. Mr. Clemson, yeah. we go after that, you know? So, I mean, it's like the, the slope has been created. And, uh, okay, anybody in the room still offended? Okay, good. We're good then. We're going to stay yeah. right here, you know? Yeah. So I, to me, I, I think um, – I mean, I, I it just the when the when and then the and the again I the Aunt Jemima thing, okay? Right. Into that, Aunt Jemima died. The the woman who apparently posed for that died as a millionaire, and her family's not real happy that they're changing that. But it had to change, and um, so you know, I um, I don't know. I to me, it it's reached the point where it seems like every morning I wake up and I'm supposed to be offended by something else. And I just don't know where it's going to stop. Well, the class me was out in the West coast somewhere where they tore down a statue of Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. Grant. Which tells me whoever's doing it doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Right. Exactly. Well, but he did own slaves. He what? Yeah. He he his in-laws own slaves. He, he did not. He apparently owned one slave and he freed him right before, right when the war was starting. Mm -hmm. and, but he did, like you said, he married into a family of, that that they they were slave owners or whatever. Right. So that one that one's kind of, that one's kind of question. I, I don't you know I, you know the fact that he, the fact that he freed the one that he actually owned prior mm -hmm. to the well right right as the war was starting. I, and that one's questionable. But I tell you one thing. Uh, I would say, and I don't. I, if y'all want to argue with me, you can. But um, probably one of the most popular football players in South Carolina history is Marcus Lattimore. Would you say that? No yeah. question. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna tell you when he signed that letter to rename Strom Thurmond Wellness Center. I've seen some things said about Marcus Lattimore on, on social media. I never thought I'd see. I never thought I'd see before. He's not quite as popular as he used to be. You know, just because he took that one, just because he took that one stand. So, well, you know, who just, knows? Fan, fan is short for fanatic. Yeah. So, uh, And, you know, let's face it. There's only been one perfect, perfect person in the history of the world, and he was crucified. We've well, all done things that we're ashamed of or things to be, to be uh, uh, criticized about. Uh, you know, and, and it just seems like it's, an, uh, as Cobb said, you know, well, what day, well, who am I supposed to be offended about? What am I supposed to be offended about today? 
Mm -hmm. And he just uh, goes on step after step after step. Well, something I alluded to earlier, and this this worries me, is that we're allowing a society that, if you look at the you look at the polls and how people vote and things like that, that the majority of people are kind of in the middle. Maybe they lean a little right or they lean a little left, but they tend to be more towards the moderate end. And what we're allowing to happen, not just in politics but in sports too, sometimes is we're allowing the fringes to kind of dictate the, the conversation. They take it over and they, you know, whether it's the, the far, far left or the far, far right. And you want to say, you know, go back, go back under your rocks somewhere. You know, normal people, you know, we kind of like to keep enjoying the world where we kind of can disagree, but get along. I mean, I'm not going to do a Rodney King thing here, but, um, you know, I mean, of the six people on here, I have no idea what Dory's politics are. I suspect my politics and maybe Willie's are more to the left than the other three guys on here. But we're friends. We can, you know, we don't, you know, we either don't talk about stuff that we know we're not going to come to an accord about, or we can talk reasonably, disagree, and then, as you said, like talking about Mr. Bradley, you show up on Monday and, hey, how's it going? What'd you do for the weekend? How's your golf game? You know, so and so and so and so. That's what America used to be about as a country with a lot of diverse opinions and thoughts and beliefs. But we all came together as one country and one people. Here we go, Cobb. Uh, a preacher's son, I'm looking for the offering plate to pass around again. <laughs> Bob, Bob Gillespie just, Bob Gillespie just preached, preached a message here. Um, Kirby, Kirby Winstead has been telling his trailer park uh, church down in Myrtle Beach. You know, they, they leave the collection plates at the door now. They don't pass them anymore. It says it's free to come in, but mm -hmm. you got to pay to get out. That's <laughs> <laughs> his own version of Hotel California, right? Yeah, well, if I'm in charge, then I imagine the demand for people getting out is going up right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, guys. Um, wow, we've gone about an hour and 20 minutes almost uh, and, and could probably keep going, but uh, I know some of you have lives. Um, tell us if, if people want to get in touch with you guys now, social media wise, uh, how can they do it? Uh, what, what's coming up? Uh, Bob, you can start with you. You can, you can, uh, uh, pump up your book again that's coming out. And then if anybody wants mm -hmm. to, wants to, uh, get uh, 10 minutes rebuttal on something you might've said today, how do they get in touch with you? Oh gosh. Well, I'm on Facebook under my name. Uh, the book is supposed to come out either August or September. Again, I have no idea what the pandemic is going to do to that because the you know, the talk was that once it came out, then they would ask us to go out and do books, you know, promotions and things right. like that. Obviously, that's going to be hard, if not impossible, to do. So that's kind of floating up in the air. But uh, yeah, I'm what on Facebook. About again? I mean, golf in South Carolina. We just we came up with about 17 chapters of things that we thought would be interesting. It's not historic necessarily some parts could have historic but for instance i did a chapter on upstate golf where i spent a lot of time with bill and jay haas uh, a lot of time with hayward sullivan uh, talking about chanticleer um uh, gosh i can't even remember now it's been so long i uh, wrote about the heritage you know which i you know i'm missing this year for the first time since 1977 so i'm in mourning i would i should have worn black um just various and sundry chapters Cobb, i'll, I'll yeah, I've got your email. I'll shoot you one or two if you want to look at them sometime. Yeah, yeah, Cobb, his books are uh, 20 bucks a piece or two for 40 So you, <laughs> And you have a job as our marketing person. <laughs> oh, Willie, what, what you got cooking, and how can people get in touch with you if they so desire? 
Uh, like, like Bob, uh, let's see, I'm on Facebook under my name. Um, I guess, uh, I think I'm still on Twitter. It's, uh, was it at Willie under, underscore T underscore Smith. And, uh, right now, uh, I am, uh, I didn't mention this in the beginning and we'll see how it works out, but I guess for the last three or four months, I've been trying to, um, do a lot of research and gathering information. I am preliminarily try, attempting to uh, put together a book, on, uh, write a book about my father. Um, it's been kind of tough because everyone, <laughs> everyone who knew him or, or was close to him, other than my mother, obviously, are, are pretty much passed away. So digging up documents is very, you know, is, is a long and tedious thing. But um, hopefully, hopefully I'll get it together and uh, get it written within the next couple of years. Uh, that's something uh, that uh, several people have been pushing me to do, and, I, and I'm going to try to get it done. Tell people who your dad was who don't know. Uh, my dad, uh, same name as me, only junior, um, was a, a civil rights attorney in Greenville and uh, um, fought the Wittenberg versus uh, uh, Greenville, school, Greenville School Board case that in integrated the schools in Greenville County. Uh, in fact, uh, the father of Elaine Wittenberg, who was the uh, who was uh, the plaintiff is uh, A.J. Wittenberg. There's an A.J. Wittenberg um, elementary school right there in, uh, right there in the middle of downtown, uh, uh, which is named after him. And um, he also, you know, he, he did, he integrated the, uh, the um, lunch counters as well. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, the hotel, and the hotels were all his case. In fact, that one went all the way to Supreme Court. But anyway, and he was, and he, he was, uh, and then he went on to be a family court judge uh, before retiring. So um, that's 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 a little bit of his tale. But I think I put yesterday in my little tribute to him. I think the 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 greatest thing he ever did was when he came back from. He served in World War II and in um, the Korean War, and they dropped him off in San Francisco. And he was saving as much money as he could because so he could go back to college uh, when he got back. He actually hitchhiked from San Francisco to Columbia, South Carolina, but wow. to save money after he got back from the war. Hmm. Well, you know what? If you of course, I guess it was a little bit safer back then and wearing yeah. a uniform probably didn't hurt any. But uh, but he but he made it and he was and he was alive to tell about it. If, if you don't write that book, there are probably four or five people on this podcast are going to come kick your rear end. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking join forward and join a whole lot of other people. Saying <laughs> the same thing. In fact, I got a, in fact, a Rudy will appreciate this. In fact, I got a private message from uh, Wanda Lloyd last night said, you better get going on that book, man. She used to be a managing editor of the Greenville news who uh, Rudy and I both know well. Outstanding. Yeah. Rudy, what's going on with you? Uh, not a whole lot. I tell you when you get to be my age, you have to uh, just uh, check the obituaries every day to make sure he's still alive. Um, uh, I'm on Facebook, Rudy Jones, of course, uh, I, my Twitter, Twitter handle is Rudy scribe, but I don't get on there much because I usually find something that I get mad about. So I just try to say, well, if I don't pay attention to it, it ain't going to bother me. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm just taking life easy. You know, I, I'm beyond the, uh, uh, freelancing area, I do a lot of volunteer work for my church. Uh, I'll probably, I'm thinking about just giving up the baseball blog just because, it's such a limited market, and uh, uh, I don't know. I may still do it once baseball season comes back, but, uh, you know, just really kind of enjoying life right now. I guess that's what retirement's supposed to be about. 
Yeah, I'd hate to see you give it up because I, you know, every now and then you see these posts come up on Facebook. Anybody got a Claflin baseball score? You know, he's he's looking for like the only the only score he doesn't have. Whoever Claflin was playing, but uh, well, listen, guys, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. We we really appreciate it, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Thanks for having well, me on, Dan. Thank, thank you. Thank you guys. All right, so those were our guests, uh, Bob Gillespie, Willie T. Smith, Rudy Jones, legendary sports writers here in the state of South Carolina, uh, Dan Scott, Kyle Oxford, Dory Kidd-Smith, here to uh, close out this episode 10 of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Dory, you were far too quiet during that hour and 20 no, minutes. I was not too quiet. I could listen to those guys and you guys all day. It was very entertaining and uh, enlightening. Although I do have to disagree with you, Dan, a little bit on the NASCAR comment. I don't know that that's the uh, opportunity just because of the, the fan base of NASCAR. I think the opportunity is with the National Football League, the NFL. I, I watched Roger Goodell this morning and it was an interview that he had maybe a couple of weeks back, but it was really interesting to hear him talk about racial injustice and in his approach. And I think since Colin Kaepernick was the one who really popped the top, right, two years ago on the whole thing with kneeling, I think that's where it needs to come back to. I think they have such an opportunity to sort of bring it back and unify the fans and hopefully the country. I don't, you know, that's, I, I think NASCAR is just oh, too divisive. I, I wonder if that wasn't staged. But see, that's what, but see, that's my point. It, because of NASCAR's history, and because of NASCAR's fan base, I think NASCAR has the opportunity to make, if not the biggest impact, the most surprising impact in this thing, simply because of that fan base. Now, and I think uh, was it Willie or Rudy who made the point? You know, fans aren't back yet. How are they going to be able to legislate this? Are they going to be confiscating Confederate flags and Confederate flag T-shirts at at the gate as people try to get in? We don't know, but I'm just saying it, it, it's ironic that that sport, with its history, with that fan base, they have an opportunity to make a major statement here. Well, don't you think this is going to be one of the fastest investigations ever? Because don't you think there's cameras in the garage area? Should be. Be discovered. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that we don't already know, to be honest with you. And what's, let's say it turns out to be a, a Jesse Mollett type deal where somebody. The Justin Smollett, yes. Yeah. Yes. Somebody planted planted it. Right. And, I mean, who knows? I mean, I. I um, but, you know, NASCAR was already on the track, literally, of of destroying their fan base because they left, they left the Southeast a long time ago. They don't care about stock car racing in Las Vegas, Kansas, or Chicago. Uh, NASCAR is about North Wilkesboro and Martinsville and Darlington. And um, so NASCAR pretty much already put a serious dent in its fan base ticket sales were a problem now with this. I mean, yeah, there's, again, I thought Bob made an excellent point. The far left and the far right. I think that's who we're hearing from now. I mean, 
a big deal was made out of five or six pickup trucks with Confederate flags riding through Clemson last Saturday night before that event started on Bowman Field. Uh, but I read an article where it said there was a space for counter-protesters set up in front of Mill Hall. There were no counter-protesters. So, I mean, it was just, it was just four or five rednecks and then you got, you know, four or five soy boys and, and that's who we're hearing from right now. And I think once we learn to filter that and mute it, maybe we can get back to a little sanity. Hopefully. In today's social media world, though, I have no real yeah, expectations that we're going to be able to, to filter it and mute it. Social media just fans the flames. And um, I'm like Rudy. I, I used to, I mean, I learned that Saddam Hussein got taken out by Twitter. So I pretty much have stayed on Twitter. But there's a lot of times I get on Twitter and I just go, I don't know this country anymore. I mean, it's crazy. Some of the, some of the, the people and the, and just flat out, just I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's not right. And uh, I mean, everybody just, I guess in in simple phraseology, everybody just needs to calm the hell down. You know, I mean, that's what we've got too many people throwing temper tantrums and. Um, you know, I, this thing in Seattle is just, I don't know, I guess you could call it an interesting sociological experiment. I don't know what you call it, but now they're shooting each other and they shoot each other and then they're mad that the EMTs won't come in. The EMTs aren't coming in because they're afraid they might get shot. So, I mean, it, they just there's a total lack of understanding about police officers and the way our society works by certain people. Well, I, you know, I, I have a different way of looking at things, uh, obviously, but, um, you know, there was a time in this country when, uh, regardless of what your religion was, um, you, you, you were taught the Ten Commandments in school. Right. Yeah. And that's not available anymore. And we can go down a whole other road with that. But, but you know, with the, the, the three... The three major, the three major religions in this country, uh, Protestantism, Catholicism, and and Islam, should all be able to agree that the Ten Commandments are all pretty good things, you know, uh, and and yet, I don't know. Uh, like I say, I'm heading down a, heading down another rabbit trail that could take us uh, far beyond the the uh, capacity of a server to carry all the comments that we probably have, but I, I you know. Coming, coming back, coming back here. Um, I'm just far from evangelical, but we used to have a devotion on the loudspeaker. We had corporal punishment in school. Took those away, mm -hmm. and, and I just did. I just did a Sunday school lesson that included about 20 minutes on Father's Day and looking at government figures on what it means when a father is not in the house. And, yeah. and and you can go go look those up at fatherhood.gov. I'll just leave it at that. And, and you know the same the same government that for years is telling us that alternate family lifestyles are okay and diminishing the role of the father. That same government has a website uh, that tells you uh, what happens 
to a family and what's happening in this country when fathers are not involved in the lives of their children, when the family unit is not a true family unit. So I think fatherhood.gov, go look it up. I'll do it. Because I don't know why patriarchy became such a negative thing. And that's how we've been rolling lately. And we're just getting watered down. So I'm depending on the grumpy old broadcasters <laughs> and you guys, your philosophy. I'm leaning we're, we're, on you. We're grumpy. I'm interning. We're, I'm we're, learning. We're, we're grumpy here at the end, aren't we, Cop? <laughs> we're not throwing any breaks. Say what? We're not throwing any breaks. No, no. But we, we are grumpy. Guys, I've enjoyed it. Uh, three three or four weeks away was too long, so we'll have to make sure that we get on more of a as much of as much of a regular rotation as we can heading into football season, and then hopefully every week once we get going there. Hopefully, we'll have sports to talk about. Here yeah, it'll be good. Thank Please. you, Cobb, Dory. Thank you so much. It, you know, all, you. all the grumpiness goes away when I see you smile. You just beam. Aww. Well, not all well, of I'm it. I'm glad to some do of, it. Some of it does. Not all of I'm it. I'm going to go back to my Herschel Walker workout, bench pressing the sofa. <laughs> you, 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 you do that. Great uh, to see you guys, and hope see. to hear from you soon. Take care. Bye. Well, there you have it. That's episode 10 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, uh, available wherever podcasts are found, iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and iHeart and probably six or eight other places I don't even know about, but we're registered with all of them. So uh, please um, find it, share it. Our, our host uh, site is Podbean. Uh, we'd love for you to comment, rate us, help us get the word out. Our thanks again to not only uh, Cobb and Dory, but our guests today, Willie Smith, Rudy Jones, and Bob Gillespie. With that, we will say goodbye for Episode 10. And we'll be back with you again probably in a couple of weeks with another brand new episode of Grumpy Old Broadcasters brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza. Again, check them out, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, todaropizza.com, Todaro Pizza Greenville is our main sponsor. Check them out. They're also in Clemson. For the entire gang, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody. (laughs) 